Now I've got our second Bible reading for today, which is Psalm 12. So you can find that on page 572 of the Pew Bibles, or you can uh, open up your own Bible, or you can follow along on the screen up there. Psalm 12, and we'll do the whole thing. Starting at verse one. Help, Lord, for the godly are no more. The faithful have vanished from among men. Everyone lies to his neighbor. Their flattering lips speak with deception. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and every boastful tongue that says we will triumph with our tongues. We own our lips. Who is our master? Because of the oppression of the weak and the groaning of the needy, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver refined in a furnace of clay, purified seven times. O Lord, will you keep us safe and protect us from such people forever? The wicked freely strut about when what is vile is honoured among men. Thank you, Ollie. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. In case I haven't met you, my name is Ads and I'm the Ministry Apprentice here at St. Stephen's. It will be great if you can keep your Bibles open this morning as we will be working through all of Psalm 12 together. And if you are a note taker and you're new to our church and don't know, we've got um, our sermon outline in the middle of our newsletter here. But before I proceed, how about we open in a word of prayer? Almighty God and King, we acknowledge that your word is truth. Truth that saves and truth that sanctifies. As we receive your truth this morning, we ask, would you illuminate our minds and tune our hearts to behold your majesty and your glory? And we ask that you do these things in the precious name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There's no more truth out there than there is in the world I created for you. For those who don't know where that line's from, it's from a movie called The Truman Show, starring Jim Carrey. In it, Carrey plays a man named Truman Burbank, who doesn't realise he's lived his entire life in a TV studio. It turns out everyone he knows, his wife, his friends, his work colleagues, are all paid actors. And he's being filmed 24-7 and broadcast all over the world as the oblivious star of a reality TV show. However, once he uncovers the truth, he then plans his escape. And just as he's about to exit the studio, the director of the show tries to convince him to stay, saying in a godlike voice from the sky, there's no more truth out there than there is in the world I created for you. Now, when we pause to think about a statement like that, don't we find it to be troubling? Troubling because when we do observe our world, it really doesn't seem to contain much truth. In fact, it feels like it's filled with deception. Just go on any social media platform and you'll realise it's rife with misinformation spread by influencers. The ACCC, which is the Australian uh, Consumer Competition uh, Commission, uh, ACCC, well, they were recently concerned that over 80% of posts, that's 80% by, made by over 100 popular influencers, were potentially misleading. 
And that's really concerning because an RMIT study found that almost 50% of Gen Zs make purchases based off influencer suggestions. Turning our attention to politics, it's not too hard to spot the lies either. For those of us who've voted in a number of elections will know that not all promises made during election time will be kept. In fact, so common are broken promises that, the, uh, that there are now election promise tracker websites out there to just to keep the pollies accountable. And deception is not just there at the level of the famous or the powerful, but also exists at the everyday level. After all, who of us here first looks at photos and reviews before making purchases online, calling a tradie to fix a problem, or going to a restaurant to eat at? And yet, sadly, photos can be photoshopped and reviews can be faked. And deception is not just unique to our era either. It's been like this all throughout human history. And as we turn to Psalm 12 this morning, we'll see it was no different in the time of King David, the author of the psalm. Now, as we start reading the psalm, we firstly notice David's incredibly troubled by the deception that's all around him. Just have a look at the first words in verse 1. Do you see what he says? Help, Lord. He's desperately crying out to God for deliverance. But what's making David, the man who's slain giants and defeated armies, feel so troubled? Now, the Bible doesn't exactly say, but what we know is that he's feeling incredibly isolated as he can't seem to trust anyone around him. And it's a problem that no slingshot or sword can help with either. It's why he continues this cry to God in the rest of verse 1, saying, For the godly are no more. The faithful have vanished from among men. So it appears that David's having a Truman moment. A moment, perhaps, when he's heard that the soldiers, who he could trust with his very own life in the battlefield now can't even be trusted to speak a word of truth to him. A moment perhaps where he's realised all of his court advisers who backed him in all his decisions, well, they've turned out to be insincere yes-men, only agreeing with him for their own benefit. A moment perhaps when he was confronted by people on the street who openly mocked him and anyone else who believed in God calling him weak for needing such a crutch as they patted each other on the back and then boasted about how they're per doing perfectly fine without God. So it's no wonder he cries out to God for help. And, we's, and as we'll see, he's also crying out to God and appealing to God for justice. So have a look at verses 2 to 4 with me. He says, Everyone lies to his neighbour, their flattering lips speak with deception. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and every boastful tongue. That says we will triumph with our tongues, with our own lips, that say with our own lips, who is our master? And then again in verse 8. 
how the wicked freely strut about when what is vile is honored among men. So you see, this is the situation that David's in, where he's truly at his wit's end and he feels trapped. And so what about you? Have you ever experienced a Truman moment? Have you ever been at your wit's end like David, feeling troubled and trapped as you found yourself surrounded by deceitful people? Perhaps we've experienced this when we found out that close friends had said nasty things about us behind our backs. Perhaps we've experienced this when work colleagues or our supervisors had dishonestly claimed the credit for our work. Perhaps we've experienced this when family members had plotted together to fight us for an inheritance. So what should we do when deceptions all around us? Well, as we look to the rest of Psalm 12 for a guide, we'll see that God hears David's cries for help. And he responds with a promise to help him. A promise which David wholeheartedly trusts in. But why could David trust this promise? And why can we trust in God's promises to help us in a world filled with deception? It's because we can trust the God behind the promise. We can trust the God who's our powerful promise maker, who's our perfect promise keeper, who's our permanent promise deliverer. Firstly, we can trust the God who promises to help us in a world filled with deception because he's our powerful promise maker. You see, after David finishes his cry to the Lord in verse 4, we notice God responds to him. And the two things about God's response is that it's immediate and it's authoritative. Now, the response is immediate because it comes straight after the, de- uh, the deceivers declare that they're getting away with their deceit, as we just saw in verse 4. So what does this immediate response, so what this immediate response shows us is that God will not delay to protect the needy, the oppressed, and to oppose the proud. The response is also authoritative because God uses two I will statements. Now an I will statement is not a statement of belief, but it's a statement about making a promise, a promise to act. The I will statements come as promises to help the oppressed and bring justice against the oppressors. Statements said with a real definitiveness. Just have a look at verse 5 with me. God says to David, Because of the oppression of the weak and the groaning of the needy, I will now arise, says the Lord, I will protect them from those who malign them. But why should an immediate and authoritative promise to help us give us reason to trust God? After all, can't anyone make such a promise? Well, the difference is when the promise is made by one who has the power to follow through, it gives those of us who benefit from that promise hope and confidence that we indeed will be safe. 
Perhaps many of you here will remember September 11, 2001. I remember I was in year 11 at the time, and like many people around the world, were shocked. Shocked to see the well-known World Trade Center buildings in New York City come crashing down. And as any powerful nation would, the then US President George Bush responded immediately and authoritatively declaring America and her allies will win the war against terrorism. And he said it to give hope and confidence to a nervous American population. And in the years that followed, the US, true to their word, undertook a comprehensive plan with allies to seek out and stop terrorists worldwide, which included long-term wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. But if you were to ask, was the war, of te- war on terror led by the most powerful nation on earth a success? You'll get a number of mixed opinions. Even when you ask uh, experts on war, they'll give you conflicting opinions at best. But there'll never be any such ambiguity when it comes to our God. For God is more powerful than any nation on earth. In fact, he's absolutely powerful because he's the creator of all things. And there's nothing that he cannot do. And there's no one greater than him. It means he's fully capable to follow through on the promises he's made. And it's why David has confidence that God has the power to help the weak, the needy, and the victims of evil. But not just that, he has the power to enact justice against the liars, the flatterers, and the wicked. The power to not only silence them in this life, but to cut them off from the life to come. And so unlike the greatest superpower on earth, whose promises are limited by human capacity, God has unlimited power to follow through on his promises. So that's the first reason why we can trust the God who promises to help us. For he is our powerful promise maker. Secondly, we can trust the God who promises to help us in a world filled with deception because he's our perfect promise keeper. Now we know we can trust our God for he has unlimited power to uh, make and follow through on promises. But it's important to trust that he has the integrity to perfectly keep his promises. Now, a lack of integrity is problematic for when someone makes a promise without integrity, they're no better than the liars and the deceivers and the, and the boasters and the flatterers, all of them who make and break promises. But, and, and isn't it disheartening when we experience something like this? Perhaps it was when a boss at work who promised us a promotion, who obviously has the power to give us a promotion, failed to deliver on it. Perhaps we felt this when a friend or a family member who promised to come to our wedding or to an important event bailed on us in the last minute, or worse yet, they just completely forgot. But when it comes to God keeping his promises... He'll never let us down. In fact, as David's penned a number of other psalms praising God, we see that 
He's trusted God's promise-keeping abilities. And we know that... uh, and, And the question is, where did David get such confidence from? Well, it's from knowing God's track record in keeping promises made. You see, David knows it's the same God who's made promises to the patriarch Abraham that he'd have more descendants than could be counted. And didn't God keep that promise by giving him a son through whom many descendants have since arisen? He knows it's the same God who's made promises to Moses and the Israelites to help them to find freedom from Egyptian slavery. And didn't God keep the promise by miraculously delivering them from Egypt with the ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea? And we know it's the same God who's even promised him victories in battle. And doesn't the book of 2 Samuel say that it was God who kept uh, promises to David and giving him victory upon victory wherever he went? And hasn't God kept his promises to us too? Made by his word, promises to comfort us in trials and promises to work out all things for our good. And so, with confidence and perfectly kept promises, David could say in verse 6, And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver refined in the furnace of clay, purified seven times. Now, perhaps some of you here have played a game of paintball For those who don't know what paintball is, it's a great team-building game where you're running around in a warehouse or a field with your teammates looking to eliminate opponents with a gun that shoots out paintballs. And here's the fun fact about paintballs. They really hurt, they leave bruises, and if they do happen to hit your skin, you could even bleed. And so the last time I played paintballs was with a number of mates, And the scenario was to capture the flag. And like you'd see in any good war movie, my mates and I, we promised one another that we'd have each other backs, that we'd take a paintball for one another. But guess what happened once we came under intense fire? It became every man for himself. And I'm ashamed to say I was hiding out in a lot of obscure corners where no one could find me because I didn't want to get hit by a paintball. But isn't it great that God's not like me? Isn't it great that when God makes a promise to protect David, to protect us, we can be 100% certain he'll keep it? After all, David says his words, his promises are like purified silver. And let me just tell you right now how pure that is. One of the ways to make purified silver is to Firstly, smelt lead ores to separate an impure silver alloy from the lead. So that means that the silver is still not 100% pure at this stage. So then this silver alloy is then heated under very high temperatures to remove the dross leaving behind purified silver. But what do we notice about how David describes God's promises? He says they're like silver purified not once, not twice, but seven times. And in the Bible, the number seven represents absolute perfection. So when God makes a promise to us, we can trust, absolutely trust, that it will be 100% flawlessly kept. 
And so the second reason why we can trust the God who promises to help us is that he is our perfect promise keeper. Now thirdly, we can trust the God who promises to help us in a world filled with deception because he's our permanent promise deliverer. Now we learnt so far a God who has unlimited power to make and follow through on his promises um, can be trusted and a God who has the integrity to perfectly keep his promises can be trusted too. But what gives us complete trust is in his abilities to ensure his promises last forever. That once it's been delivered in full, it can't be undone. Now let's just imagine for a moment how David would have felt if God's promise to help him, to bring him justice, was obsolete. Obsolete because he was overthrown like the gods of pagan mythology, like how the Titans, over, uh, how the Titans were overthrown by Zeus and his siblings. Or worse yet, obsolete because God had died, like Thor's father Odin in the Marvel Universe. If either of these things had happened, David would be feeling pretty troubled. And he'd either have to find another God to latch onto, or he'd have to find ways to fix the problem himself. But of course, we can be thankful that such notions are absolutely ridiculous. And David knew this too. He knew that God couldn't be overthrown. For the Bible says there's no other God besides God. And he knew that God couldn't die. For there's no beginning to him and there's no end to him. And when God told Moses to tell the people his name is I Am, everyone knew that this meant God is the all-powerful, ever-present and eternal one. Which is why David could have such confidence as he declared in verse 7, O Lord, you will keep us safe and protect us from such people forever. Now perhaps some of you here have heard of the term Pax Romana. Pax Romana is Latin for Roman peace. It was said by historians to have been a period roughly lasting from 27 BC to 180 AD. It was a time when Rome experienced a golden age of social stability and economic prosperity. And during this time, when the empire also reached its largest under a man named Trajan, can you imagine um, how he would have felt and what the people would have felt as he was giving a speech? So Trajan, once again, he was the emperor. So Trajan would have said, Rome is the greatest empire in the world. No one can challenge us. That's why I promise you peace, protection and stability forever. Yet we know, looking at history, within 400 years of his reign, the western part of the empire had completely disintegrated and the eastern part was conquered another thousand years later. And this was also the case for many other great empires in history too, such as the Greeks under Alexander, such as the Mongols under Genghis Khan and the French under Napoleon. And they, for they too would have wanted their empires to last forever. But where are they now? But aren't we glad that, uh, that God is everlasting? That he can't be overthrown? He can't die? 
which is why we can be certain that when he makes and keeps a promise to protect us, to help us, we know that if he's willed for such a promise to last, it will last and it will last forever. It will be delivered in full forever. So that's the third reason why we can trust the God who promises to help us, for he is our permanent promise deliverer. Now, if this is all we considered about Psalm 12 this morning, it'd be easy to leave here thinking, it's terrible that we're living in a world full of deceivers, filled with liars, flatterers, and boasters. But thank God is that, that we, as victims of such wicked people, can find great comfort in the promise that God will help us and bring them justice. After all, isn't our God, our powerful promise maker, perfect promise keeper and permanent promise deliverer? And wouldn't that be a nice little sermon to finish off with? But here's the hard truth we need to all confront this morning. You know, all those people out there, which the Psalms been calling liars and deceivers, the ones committing all manner of sin with their tongues, we are those same people. Just as others have lied, have we not done the same, telling lies to avoid an uncomfortable reality? Just as others have flattered us, have we not done the same in order to receive things from people to manipulate them? Just as others have gossiped about us, have we not done the same, speaking about people behind their backs in ways we'd never do to their faces? And have we not also said things in arrogance against those who we think that we think we're better than? Have we not exchanged harsh words with those we felt hard done by? And have we not spoken God's name in vain, our very own God, our glorious God, his name in vain, forgetting the very reverence and respect that he deserves? And so who deserves to face God's justice? It's me, it's you, it's, it's all of us. You see, our tongues display for the world to see the absolute wickedness deceitfulness and darkness that's lurking in our hearts. So if we truly believe that God will deliver on his promise from this psalm, promises of justice, then we can be assured that there will come a day when none of us will be found innocent enough to be rescued and all of us will be found guilty. All of us will be found to have our tongues silenced, to have our lips cut off, and to be condemned to an eternal hell because we deserve it to face the full fury of God's wrath and forever. But now that we've heard the terrible news, here's the amazingly good news. You see, even though we deserve such justice, God still made good on his promise to help us because of his amazing grace he did this by sending us a protector, a helper, a saviour, by sending us a son, Jesus. And here's the most condescending thing in all of human history. Jesus was the only one who never used his tongue wrongly and who never sinned at all. 
Jesus never lied even to get himself out of trouble when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus never flattered where, even to avoid punishment at the Sanhedrin trial. Jesus never boasted, even though Pilate asked him if he were a king. And Jesus never insulted, even though he was being mocked on his way to Calvary. And yet for our sakes, he arose to protect us. When he took on the punishment we deserve for our sins, by shedding his blood on the, on the cross, by dying on the cross, and he did this all to satisfy God's justice. And in doing this, he gave us a right standing before God, a place that he alone deserved, a place only for the pure of heart. So what's the result of all of this? It means that we, the deceivers, we who are guilty of sin and deserving of hell, will be protected not only today, but forever if we trust him. And so what does this then mean for, for all of us in this, in this room today? Well, for, for those of you who aren't Christian, and perhaps this may be the first time that you even stepped foot into our church, or any church for that matter, my encouragement to you is that no matter how badly you've lied, flattered, deceived, no matter how bad that your past has been, it's not too late right now to trust in Jesus to help you, the one who can protect you from the judgment to come. And it's not too late to ask him to, to, for forgiveness, to believe in the promise of eternal life that is in him. But not, not because you deserve it, but because he graciously gives it. And to the rest of us who are protected by Christ, the reality is evil still remains in our world today. As soon as we wait for God's, as, as, yeah, as soon as we wait for God's promise of protection and judgment to be fulfilled, uh, which will happen in second coming, we still face the reality that there's just lies and there's deception and there's boasting all around, and not just around. It's still it's there in our own hearts, and it will be there this side of eternity. So for us, as my, uh, what, what I want to say is as much as we can trust the people close to us, I know for myself I can trust my wife Lorraine, I can trust my family, I can trust many of you in this room, and, and, I, know, and I hope there's people in, in your lives that you can trust. The reality is that even with those we think we can trust, they'll never be 100% trustworthy. Because surely I'll let you down, you'll let me down, we'll all let each other down. And more than once too. But isn't it great that despite living in such a world right now, even though we are protected, isn't it great to know that we are not alone? To know that God has given us his promises to help us in Jesus. And these promises are right here in this precious book that we hold in our very hands this morning. Providing an anchor of truth for us to hold on to daily in a sea of deception providing us all the great promises of God. And so as we find ourselves in the first Sunday of 2024, what will it look like for us this year when the lies and deception around us and the sins of the tongue disrupt our lives, impacting our work, our friendships, our families, and even our relationship with God? Well, my prayer for us is that we will continue to trust in God and that that trust will remain unwavering. And why? Because he is our powerful promise maker. 
He is our perfect promise keeper and he is our permanent promise deliverer in Christ. Christ who promises to help us always. Let us give thanks to our God in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for teaching us your wonderful truth from your word this morning. We pray as we go about this year facing the challenges of living in a world filled with deception and dealing with the deceitfulness of our own hearts, that you would help us with these situations, that you'll help us to have an unwavering trust in you with all things because of all that you've already done for us in Jesus. And we ask this in Jesus' name and by the Holy Spirit. Amen.